Hey friends, welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast. I am Haley and I am joined by my regular co-host, Charlie and Miguel. How's it going, friends? Hey. Going well. Yeah. Does anyone else dance along to our intro song? Because as it ends, especially I'm like, ding, 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 ding. A hundred percent. Every time. Every every single time. It just gets stuck in my head for like a while for the rest of the day. It's like bouncing around. Yeah, there's there's also a jewelry store here locally that uses that music um, on a radio spot. How dare they? I know. And every time I hear it, I find myself doing the same thing. I'm just like, really, you know, I like it. <laughs> hey, how was everybody's? Um, Miguel, how was your Thanksgiving? I was going to say like Charlie, you know, but I forget that sometimes I forget that Thanksgiving isn't a thing for you. Correct. But you did have time off. So how was everyone's time off? My non-Thanksgiving time off was very productive and I was very thankful for it, ironically. (laughs) How about you, Miguel? Uh, Mine was great. Um, I spent it with uh, family and... uh, That's right. You were in the the yellow room. The... um, Yep. I forgot about this. That's right. You were in the banana... We blocked it from our memory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, the color of that room probably fried all of your uh, nerve endings in your brain and it didn't create a memory up until... Just right now, yes. it was uh, obnoxious. Is yeah. I, I that's actually the room that we stayed in. So when you wake up to that, you're very awake. It's very apparent <laughs> that you're in there. So, <laughs> what about you, Haley? Um, mine was great. We hosted um, my husband's family. My mom was in Ireland, so it was just uh, it was my dad and then the rest of my husband's family. And we all usually do holidays together anyway, so it was pretty normal. But it was nice, you know. I felt like a real adult hosting. Usually we go to my husband's mom's or my my in-laws. Um, so, you know, it was fun. I felt like I said, I felt like a real adult hosted, you know, had like nice plates out. My like nice stuff it was fun to use. Mm. Yeah, I know. Very adult like of me. Well, friends, today I'm very excited for this topic of conversation because we don't often actually talk about what ConvertKit does on this podcast. This podcast is more about the creator economy in general, right? Versus specifically our product. It's one of the more important things to us as a team who produces this podcast and that we don't want it to be like a shameless plug for ConvertKit all the time. As a team, it's really important for us to be a part of the creator economy and not just talking about our software and what we do. So, mm-hmm. um, but today that's not necessarily, we're going to talk about email. We're not going to be shamelessly plugging ConvertKit and why you need we to We might use. a little bit, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. We might, we might a little bit, but I really wanted to talk about this topic because we had a great team meeting yesterday about what we're doing in 2022 and ultimately like why we exist as a business. And it got me excited thinking about it. And so I wanted to have this conversation um, on the podcast with some more of my team in a more public setting. And so let's kind of kick off the conversation by by talking about what is email's place in 2021, the end of 2021 and into 2022. It is a crowded, the creator economy is crowded, right? With all these different sorts of tools. And as of late, it has been become been even more crowded, I think, with companies like LinkedIn tapping into the creator economy and all of these other um, bigger businesses or enterprise style SaaS companies or businesses recognizing the power and importance and presence of the creator economy um, and creators themselves. So what is what is email's place in 2022? 
Well, let's start with like, so basically what's interesting about email is like, it's been around almost as long as the internet has sending messages electronically. So it's kind of like, I don't know, a lot of people have this attitude towards email, like it's this dinosaur, like it's a fax machine. Like, why would you even use one of those anymore? Right. And it has become, it's, I think it's starting to kind of come back into favor because it can do a lot of things that, you know, social media, which is like the new guy on the block, isn't necessarily uh, really good at everything. There are some things that email just flat out does better. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll get more into that, you know, as we talk in this podcast. But I definitely think that for the purpose of things that we've mentioned before in this podcast, like actually owning your relationship with your audience and not being at the mercy of a social platform and the limitations of that platform, just still make it a very big contender. And it's just a matter of kind of knowing how to leverage the mechanism of email in concert with social media, mm -hmm. because it's it, there's nothing really that new about email, but email with social media and how you connect those two is where the key is, I think. Yeah, what's kind of cool about the fact that you're right, Miguel, email's been around as long as the internet has. And like, I don't know, was it around even longer? Like, could you actually send emails back and forth before you could like browse the web, for example? I'm not honestly sure on that fact. Maybe. But I think that our like usage of email has remained pretty similar as well, right? Like it's to talk to people who are not sitting right next to you. And, you know, obviously with email lists and newsletters and we've got shops and brands contacting us through our email inbox too. It's less of a one-to-one -one sometimes, and it's more of like a one-to-many, but it's that communication part of it is still like still there, you know? And mm -hmm. you're right. A lot of people see email less as the dinosaur, but yeah, it's, it definitely still has, it, has its place for that reason because it's still our hub. Like, can you think of someone who doesn't check their emails in the morning? You know, if you are a working professional who like has like a, a job on a computer, you probably check your emails and your emails is the place that your flight bookings go, that your restaurant bookings go, that like the way you organize your life happens in your email for the most part. And uh, that's why it's a very valuable space for creators to be reaching an audience in, you know, it's mm. not a place that you have to remember to go check, especially it's like a natural part of people's day. Mm hmm. I think that's one of the um, points that Nathan, our CEO, has made several times is that email can't die, <laughs> is that it is a behemoth and it's been it's one of those things that's going to stand the test of time because um, it is the it's just as you described, Charlie, it's the way it's so embedded in the way that we live our daily lives um, as working professionals. And I, I never even thought about like your reservations. <laughs> I, as you said that, I was like, huh. I wonder, I'm like, what would it be like if my reservation, my airline ticket, you know, or whatever reservation went to Instagram DMs, you know, could you imagine? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Um, but that kind of leads me into the second question, right? Which is like, does it compete with social media? And I think that the answer to that is, um, is no, that it doesn't. But oftentimes the perception is that it does compete with social media. And I think one of the things that you said you said is that that email is is now one to many and that's how a lot of people view social media as well is one to many mm -hmm. however um what email does differently is it helps build a deeper and a better connection i think than social media does and i think that that perception can definitely shift um and the reason that i believe that is because 
email is the place where your truest fans go, right? So I, I've talked, we maybe have talked about this um, a couple times or very casually talked about it, but I casually follow people all of the time on social media, people that I'm not specifically drawn to, or like, we'll call that, we'll call them. I'm not a true fan of their work, but I will casually follow them on social media. If they show up in my feed, great. If they don't, I'm not upset about it. You know, I'm just scrolling. Uh, whereas email is very different. Email is this very personal space. I don't want my email to be flooded with, uh, with, things that I don't want to see because it's this private personal space. So the only people that I invite into my inbox, I kind of consider it like my home, right? With your house, like you don't invite casual friends into your house. Like that's the safe space for your close friend group. Um, Especially during COVID times. Especially during (laughs) COVID times. Yeah. And so um, I think that, um, and that was one of the questions that I said is, are your email fans, uh, your email subscribers, are they worth more than social subscribers or social followers? Um, How do you compare the two groups of people? Yeah, I think so. But I don't personally have data to back that up, if that makes sense. Mm. But following my own email habits, I guess, I relate to what you described, Haley, in that on social is where I'll be happy to just sort of follow people. And I I am pretty picky about that. Like, I don't want to overfill my feed. But email is where I subscribe to my very favorite creators. Mm. You know, they're the ones that I want to allow into my inbox and that I want to see popping up every week. Heck, every day if they want, I don't care. And like, maybe I'm not going to open every single email, but um, I like having them there. And I like being able to see the subject line and click into it uh, if it's something that interests me. And that's often where I do my like purchasing from creators too. Mm. So I think that that is a part of it, you know, for creators is that that's the way to reach your fans in a place where they're ready to like buy and and support you by purchasing your product or your course or whatever it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Something that I have seen as a really um, great tactic, um, we all know I talk about pottery all the time on this channel about like that being like my craft of choice, right? Not as much as you talk about chairs. Yeah, I got some shade on Slack the other day because Charlie posted uh, she not living in America and not actually having true Black Friday things th- because of Thanksgiving, they still somehow you know, I guess the whole whole world world does Black Friday now. now. And Charlie bought a new chair. And then Miguel somehow came on and responded that because, okay, it was just, it was a joke about chairs and maybe it's not going to be funny to everybody else, but they were making fun of me. You think of chairs, you think of Haley. That's the point. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Move on. What was your point before I interrupted you? I don't know. I kind of forgot it. I kind of lost it. I'm sorry. No, you got to bring it back. Um, bring it back. Oh, that's right. I said pottery. We were talking about pottery because I talk yep. about pottery all the time or use it as an, in examples all the time. But I'm going to New York uh, to shoot some creator session episodes in a couple of weeks. One of my favorite potters happens to live uh, in Brooklyn. And so I was just checking out. I wonder if she has any, you know, like pop-up shops or things that are happening. The interesting thing is, is that you can't buy from her uh, if you are not an email subscriber. And the reason is, is that email subscribers get let in to the store, essentially like an online store when it drops. 
earlier than anybody else. And if you're not an email subscriber, so she'll release it six hours, two hours. I can't remember exactly how long it is. And everything is sold out before that. Wow. So she's so popular and in demand that the only way to get her pottery is to sign up to her email, which I think is great because then it relies, she does it. She's using social media. This is one of the things that Nathan talked about yesterday. She's using social media as a distribution tool or as a collect, you know, to collect new subscribers and new fans. And then she's pushing them into the funnel of email and then she's taking control from there. So she's not relying on social media, on Instagram, on the algorithm when she has a shop drop. Um, she's not relying on them to be able to reach her truest fans. And as a result of that, you literally cannot buy a mug unless you are an email subscriber. So you know what I am? An email subscriber. And even then it's hard to get them because they go so dang fast. Another creator that does this that I've talked about is um, Erin Benzaki. I can't remember her last name from Florette Farms. Um, Magnolia has done uh, Magnolia Network. They did a show with her. And she, I think is, she took Marie Forleo's um, has been in Marie Forleo's ecosystem for a long time. And same thing, she's in such high demand that she sells seeds. Her seeds are, that's her business. So seed production. And you can't, because she sells these fairly rare um, types of seeds. How's that for a niche? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Uh, She... You can't get them unless you're an email subscriber. So every single day on her Instagram stories, all she's pushing is sign up for my newsletter. If you want the seed, sign up for my newsletter. And then she removes social media out of the algorithm. She understands the importance of it from gaining new people more quickly. And this is, um, I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but this goes into the problem that email actually has is that you don't have the ability to go viral, right? Like you can't share Mm -hmm. a newsletter with somebody the same way that that social posts can go viral. So yep. social posts, they go viral. They give you access to an entirely new audience or hundreds of thousands of people when your email list maybe only has five or so thousand. And then you're able to push them into your your email funnel and then you can sell sell to them there. So that's one way that I see a lot of creators using email or using social media to to fuel their email growth. We can have both social and email if we want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the email enables you to do things a little slightly differently. So for example, let's say you have a store and um, you're having some kind of a sale and you have two options. You can either kind of plaster everywhere that you're doing 20% off or something like that and it's everywhere and it's open to everyone. Or you can use email to segment your audience and be a little bit more strategic about who gets the information about the sale and do things like early access or individual codes that are only for those people. Um, That's not something that you could do in social media because by its very nature, it's everywhere. It's it's not hidden from anyone. But with Mm -hmm. email, you can do exclusives uh, really easily and send those out. Um, I get emails from certain brands that I love and I'll often get a link that'll send me to a page that is only accessible through the link in the email. And the prices are much nicer than the ones that are on their normal website. And that's because I'm an email subscriber. And that company probably would not want to have that link or uh, be on Twitter or something like that, because they're specifically trying to reward their true fans. And they're not just trying to say, hey, we're having a sale, come one, come all. Actually, this ties into, I saw Paul had, uh, has asked a question in the chat that I want to bring up. Paul Values, 
their email subs would love to know how about data on frequency though how many emails are too many versus sending too few emails and uh paul says that probably fall into the too few category for fear of getting people unsubscribing from the emails and i know this is something that creators worry about a lot but i think what you just described there miguel about emails being a reward for the people who are subscribed to you means that you can kind of send as many emails as you want as long as every single one is rewarding that person for signing up, whether that's giving them a special offer, giving them special information, you know, that perhaps you haven't shared elsewhere or like making sure that you are aware of the like and grateful that Mm. they've allowed you into their inbox and that you treat that with respect, you know, by trying to provide value with each email. And as long as you're doing that, the right people will stay subscribed to you, you know? Um, and sure, some people might unsubscribe if they they figure out that, well, maybe this isn't for me. I don't want more information on this topic that you're talking about. That's okay too, because you want to make sure your list yeah. is just your the people who are interested mm-hmm. in that topic. I think that really depends on the type of creator that you are. Um, a very good mm-hmm. example is authors. This actually is something that I just uh, happened to see yesterday. Um, And it's funny how it came about. This is kind of coming full circle a little bit, but we have uh, an author um, who uses ConvertKit. She wrote uh, a New York Times bestselling book called The Love Hypothesis. I just ordered it yesterday on Amazon. I'm going to actually see if she'll do a creator session uh, with us, which I think would be really fun. Um, But she has a fascinating story. But as I was kind of exploring and looking into how she's using email, um, her email subscriber growth has, it's growing fairly quickly. And one of the ways, and I was wondering how, how she was doing this, and she's used TikTok and social media as one of the main ways that she's doing this. But what I find to be really interesting is as an author, she has this character, this book, The Love Hypothesis. And if you're familiar with, um, this is going to be a, don't judge me for this. Okay. Uh, 50 shades of gray, right? The, um, I, expect you to say. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, but it was a wildly popular, it was a wildly popular book. And I can't remember the author's name, Stephanie, maybe something like that. No, that's twilight. Don't judge me again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hear me out. I'm going with this. Um, I'm trying I'm listening, I'm listening. the book, 50 shades of gray, <laughs> 50 shades of gray is written from the female character's perspective. And after, you know, millions and millions of people loved this book so much, they wanted to hear what Christian's perspective, the male character's perspective was in the book. So many years after the final book was released, she released a book from Christian's perspective. Now, this other author, Allie Hazelwood, who wrote The Love Hypothesis, has a very similar book in that her two characters are beloved, but it came from one, the female's perspective. So she used her email list. And every day she was releasing content or like chapters or something. And I'm, I'm kind of guessing a couple things. I can't, I'm not, this isn't exactly what she did, but she was providing in her emails, she was sending pages from the male character's perspective. It was this exclusive content that wasn't yet a book, right? But that the true fans, like people that loved and loved this book, the newsletter was the, or not newsletter, emails was the only place that she the only place that you could see this new exclusive content. Now, if I'm a reader and I'm pulling it full circle back to Paul's question, right, is how much is too much? For Allie, if she emailed, if I was a subscriber and she emailed me every day for 30 days, one page out of the book, I would have been sitting at my desk at that time at noon when that email went out to get the next page, right? So I really think that it depends on the type of creator that you are and what you're doing and what your email strategy is. 
And you can easily, in that circumstance, 30 days, 30 emails would not have been an overload, right? Because people Mm -hmm. are sitting on the edge of their chair. If you're doing a sales promotion, maybe every day for 30 days is a little bit too much and your email subscribers are going to get tired out. If you're doing an intro sequence and you're introducing yourself to a new subscriber and you have four days of intro, like this is who I am. This is what's important to me. Um, important to me. This is what you are to be expect. This is what you should expect from being an email subscriber. And then they move into a different sort of funnel. That's also not too much. But if you, you know, so I think it really depends on what your email strategy is. I know that wasn't a specific answer to the question, but I no, really, no, yeah. it is. It is a, it's a great example of one as well because it depends on the content and if it's still valuable to repeat it each day as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You're right. 30 days of a page of the story. It's like you're seeing the continuation. And if you're not interested in her writing anymore, maybe you're going to drop off the list and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not interested in writing, you're not interested in anything else she's going to talk about. But 30 days of sending the same discount link, probably not very valuable. Mm -hmm. Someone doesn't want it after the first like two or three times you share (laughs) it with them. Maybe let's like give them a break. (laughs) Yeah. And on the other side of that too is um, sometimes when you get a a bunch of emails about a sale to continue with the example I was giving from before. And then you get to the website and it's on the top banner of the website and they have it all over the place. Then you realize, oh, this isn't a reward for me being an email subscriber. This is just something you're sending out to everybody to let everybody know about a sale that anybody that goes on your site knows about. Mm -hmm. So that to me, uh, you know, it's fine because that's the point of marketing and whatnot, but it is, a, it feels less exclusive and it feels less, it feels a, a, like my relationship with them is a little bit less uh, of like a, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit less of an advantage as a consumer of their, of their content or their products, because um, they're just pulling me into their website, which is valid, but to contrast with what we were talking about before as a a reward for being an email person. Maybe you're giving people early access to a sale that you were going to have anyway, but people get a head start on it or something like that, I think is a good way to do it. And another fun thing about doing things with email and tying things to email addresses is with tools like ConvertKit, for example, we can track what these email addresses are doing, what they're clicking on, what their behavior is, you can segment those subscribers and add tags to those people that kind of shows what things are clicking on, what things are not clicking on. You can even very explicitly in an email say, hey, if you want more stuff about sales, click here. Hey, if you're tired of these emails, click here and I'll send you fewer emails. And people can kind of sort of tailor make their frequency if mm-hmm. they're being annoyed without the option being I'm in or I'm out. Yep. And that's something you can't do with social media. Social media, your only option is like mute the posts or unsubscribe. There's no mm-hmm. send me fewer of their posts or send me more of their posts. They're, they're, you can't get that granular. Um, so that's one of the other benefits of emails that you can really segment your audience based on their wants and their behavior, which is really cool. I treat my email list as well as a way to learn more about my audience. Something that I've actually noticed I get less of now that I'm using in a, like a fancy designed email template to send my newsletter is I get less replies than when I was just sending out plain text emails. So that's interesting. And I'll be honest, it has made me consider going back to like the plainer one because mm. I really liked getting more responses to things. Um, but maybe it's also just that the topics I've been sending lately haven't elicited a response. I have to recognize that too. But I have a thing on a lot of my forms 
And also in a, like a welcome email, I use the tagging thing Miguel's talking about to ask people what level of design experience they have. So that when someone joins my list, I'm also getting to learn, are they just getting started? Are they a junior designer, mid, senior? Do they lead a team? Are they not even interested in design and they're here on my list for some other unbeknown reason? I don't understand. It's really cool to get to learn that through the tagging system Miguel was talking about so that not only I can send content to the right people, but also just gives me a gauge in general of Mm. who are these people who are interested in being in my audience. Even if I send the same content out to all of them, helps to know that like 20% are juniors, for example. Yeah. Charlie, I was going to ask that. I was going to say, do you send people down different different paths or content, do you send them different content based off of their skill level or their um, where they're at, beginner, junior, I have or senior? only done this once in that um, I was an affiliate for a friend's course about web design, if I'm remembering correctly. And so I knew this wasn't a, probably a thing to send to people who were leading teams or senior designers on my list. It was a course aimed at like a lower level. And so I was like, great, let me like make a little segment and just send it to those people. And that meant that I was making sure I was providing value to them, right? By telling mm-hmm. them about this course and recommending it and that I wasn't um, annoying the people who it wouldn't be relevant for. Mm. Um, I think that helps instill more loyalty as well, because if people open an email from you and it's like, it's relevant to them and it, you know, is something they're interested in hearing about, it just creates like a good association in their mind with you. Um, I had someone actually, a reply I did get the other day saying, oh my gosh, why are you always sending me this content that I need exactly when I need it? Like, how do you do that? (laughs) And I'm like, magic. (laughs) Magic, magic. I like your comment about replies. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't highlight that when you, when um, subscribers do reply to you, when you're using a software like email, it's a great deliverability hack. So even throwing, (laughs) just, just, I feel like Alyssa here, you know, but even throwing in an email, maybe that's not a templated email and then actually asking your subscribers to reply to that email because both you want to hear what they have to say, but also so that way Google knows that they're replying to you and your email. It's just, it's a great deliverability hack without getting into the nitty gritty of why uh, that works. But I would encourage you if you've never done that to try and see how many of your subscribers actually reply. Just as a quick little tidbit, you know, on deliverability. <laughs> Thanks, Haley. You're you welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, what are other ways that we see uh, subscribers or email like our, our customers growing their list um, in different niches? I obviously gave an example of an author, but what else What else are you guys seeing? I think you're breaking up a little bit there, Haley, but I think I got the gist of the question. My favorite email lists to be on are the ones that feel personal, like that even if someone is just using, is using a designed template, that they type like they're talking to me. And I tend to be on the email lists of people who I also follow on YouTube. So maybe like this helps with that. But when I read their emails, I'm like reading it in their voice, you know, because it, I watch their videos. So I know what they sound like and they write the same way that they talk. And so it feels really personal in that way. I think that's a great way to grow is by using email as a space to like be more open and be genuine. And that maybe it's not like a, any sort of audience growth hack where it's going to get you more subscribers onto email lists, but I think it certainly gets them to stay more. I just wanted to piggyback on Charlie's. This isn't actually not an answer to your question, but what Charlie said did make me think of something. And uh, with email, it's very much the conversation is between the sender and the re- and the recipient, uh, which is nice. Whereas social media, it's 
you know, a town hall meeting where mm. everybody is saying every everybody is talking about something and the things that other people say about what you said on something like Twitter can change the context or change the feeling or change the meaning and twist it just a little bit because it's a conversation there between everyone in the comments. Um, so yeah, feel, that's right. Everybody can yeah. see their re your reply. The reply is is accessible mm -hmm. to everybody. Right, exactly. And I feel like you have a little less control over the message there as a result. Another pro for the email, uh, specifically plain text emails, I feel they I, like they feel more like a conversation as opposed to like one with lots of other things going on. If, if, if it feels more like a newsletter, it feels less replyable because it almost like I've almost been trained that like newsletters are not things that I reply to and a human's going to respond to. It's yeah. usually like a do not reply at so and so dot com. Totally. Yeah, that's that makes sense. And that's I think I've just like sacrificed the replyability for the sake of design in this case. Yeah, which may not be the best as a idea. designer, that is understandable. <laughs> yeah. At, uh, at conferences, when I used to teach, Alexis and I would go um, quite a bit and we would teach sessions like at conferences. Right. And I would always ask, when was the last time that you replied to like a Nordstrom anniversary sale email? You're like, oh, oh thanks, Nordstrom. You know, this is such great news. I'm going to get the boots. You know, it's <laughs> the last time. Has anyone ever done I'm gonna that? I'm going to start doing that. That sounds fun. Let me go hit up <laughs> Everlane real quick. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyways. I have really enjoyed this conversation about email. I feel like it's a conversation that we don't have all that often. I hope that it's helpful for everybody um, to have these sorts of conversations. Does anybody in the comment who's here live, uh, Noah, Paul, does anybody have any questions that you'd want to ask while we're here talking about it? And while anyone's asking, Miguel, did you have any, I don't know, like email lists that you're, you're a big fan of or ways that you've seen people growing? I do really like the when I receive an email, when it's reflective of my behavior on somebody's uh, site. And not necessarily because it's more of a joy to get those things, but it's nice that the emails that I am getting are not generic and that are more specific to the things that I tend to be clicking on on their website and then the things that I tend to be doing because it makes them more rel relevant to what I'm doing. And oftentimes some people get really clever with it. And if there was something I clicked on and didn't do anything about, some of their sites are advanced enough um, that they're like, hey, we saw that, I think Etsy does this where I was looking at something and then the seller has the ability to be like, hey, oh, we noticed that you like clicked on this and didn't buy it. The seller is offering you right now a 15% off coupon, interested? And I'm like, well, I was kind of interested, but now I'm like super interested. So, <laughs> so and then they make the sale. Um, so that's really, really cool. I like to think of myself as somebody who is like, you know, I, 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 you can't trick me with your marketing, with your marketing, uh, mojo. <laughs> like I can see through it. I work for a marketing company, but I am a good sucker for a good coupon. So take that for what it's worth. So was it last week we talked about how we all buy things from Instagram ads? <laughs> oh, it's bad. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. No, I don't like to admit to it, but I, I definitely do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's We've bad. We've got a question here from Paul. Uh, asking, can you give an example of tagging and segmenting? Because Paul follows on, I tend to see emails to everyone, not segmented. And I think that it's okay to send emails to everyone if it's relevant to everyone. That mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. I think you should think about segmenting when there's a message you want to communicate that you feel will only be relevant to a certain portion of your audience. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if there's a certain type of content you make, like 
I recently set up a landing page to send people email notifications of when I go live on YouTube. That is absolutely not something that I'm sure that all of the 20,000 people on my email list want to receive an email about. But for a group of people who have said, hey, YouTube notifications aren't working for me and I hate that I'm missing your streams, I'm like, great, well, sign up here and I'll email you. So I'll send my email just to that segment of my list because I know just that segment of people are interested in it. That's that's what, one example of how you could mm-hmm. choose to segment and send to just one group of people. I'll give an example. Um, this is kind of based off of, uh, Charlie, your example. When people come into your email list, one of the things that a lot of email experts recommend is that you um, introduce them into a welcome series. And mm-hmm. that's an opportunity for you to ask questions about your audience and get them to engage in that first email. Uh, and that first email might be, let's say, for example, um, it's your Charlie, you're a designer and you're asking them, you're saying, hi, I'm Charlie. I'm a designer. This is a little bit about me. Now tell me a little bit about you. Um, I write content for designers and sometimes uh, my content is geared more towards beginners, intermediate and expert designers. And when they click a link, that link will actually tag and then tag those subscribers. And then you can create segments within those tags that might be like beginner, intermediate and segment or uh, an expert. And so when you're writing a specific email on a piece of content that might be a little bit more advanced, you would then segment out that email to a more your more advanced list that they self-described as themselves. I think that's just one example. Paul, I'm curious what type of creator you are, what you do for your creative endeavors, and maybe we can give a little bit more specific um, of an example, but that's just one that kind of popped off the top of my head from the very beginning. Or your very generic example of just basic list list, list hygiene, which is just if you have a bunch of emails on your list and you want to have the most engaged list possible and there might be a lot of emails in there that uh, don't ever interact with any of your stuff, mm. you can, with a tool uh, like, say, ConvertKit, for example, that's <laughs> uh, uh, the one I know the best. Uh, swear <laughs> to God, this isn't a, a, a pitch or anything. But uh, you can say, okay, this person hasn't clicked on anything in over six months. So I'll create a segment of anybody that hasn't interacted with my stuff in over X amount of time and send a specific email to those people and be like, hey, are you still interested in my stuff? If so, click here. And if they click, you keep them. And if you don't, see you later. And then that way you have a nice lean list. Yeah. And actually to expand on that even further, if they don't click, you can move them into a cold subscriber um, sequence. And you might send them four or five emails over the course of 10 or so days, giving them an opportunity to click, you know, and then they move Mm -hmm. into the the clean list segment. And then after, let's say, a 10 day sequence um, of the and that cold subscriber sequence, you would essentially rid those subscribers uh, of your list. um, And that helps uh, good list hygiene. Um, Charlie, I feel like I have to answer your question, which is like lists newsletters that you like. And I've already referenced her, but Erin Benzaki, I don't know, like I said, uh, she, her business is Florette Farms, right? And like I said, now I want her information or I want to be on the newsletter because I want to buy these like rare seeds because I do this cut flower garden business for my daughters um, to help them understand how to earn money and work. Um, And so they make bouquets and they sell them to our neighborhood, which is great fun. I feel like Pat Flynn would give me a big pat on the back for this one. He has a podcast with his son about entrepreneurship. But the reason why I like her newsletter is because her newsletter is about the realities of building her business as a female entrepreneur. And she doesn't talk about that 
too often on her blog. Um, she, mm. she saves a lot of that for her newsletter. And so I feel like I can go find a bunch of resources, learning resources on her blog, which really she's an education business. She educates people how to grow small and big farms, right? Specifically with cut flowers. But in her newsletter is when she talks to female entrepreneurs. And I really, um, I really like that content. So for me, that's one of my favorite newsletters, uh, to follow because I'm both getting pitched something that I want rare cut flowers that are hard to find. And two, I feel like I'm being taught by a female entrepreneur that's paving the way for other female entrepreneurs. And it's really good stuff for my daughters. Um, cause I like to show them some of her stuff and to show what you can do with a little, a dream. Her story is really amazing. And um, if you watched her show on Magnolia Network, you kind of get a small glimpse of the stuff that she shares in her newsletter. Nice. One of my favorite ones to receive is Sean Blunt, who he makes the focus course and like um, a planner that I buy every year called the, I think it's called plan your year uh, workbook that takes you through like really intentional way to think about what you want to get out of the year and how you're going to approach it. And I don't think I open every one of his emails, but whenever I do, there's like something really thoughtful and like, I don't know, it puts me in a good state of mind. So I really Mm. appreciate having them in my inbox. All right, friends. Was that it? I think that's it. I'm always the worst at closing out podcasts. I'm just like calling it (laughs) out, you know, I'm not great at it. (laughs) You just don't want to go. You just want to hang out with us all day. I know. It's usually just this blunt, like, hey, it's been about 42 minutes. I think it's time to end. What do you think? No, in in all seriousness, uh, Charlie, you want to give them an update on the end of the year? Because we are going to be taking a little bit of a break towards the end of the year. So we'll just give you a quick little kind of update on that. I think we're coming back next week and then we're going to take a bit of a content break. Am I right there? Yeah. Next week, we'll do a 2021 recap, what we've learned as creators this year. Yeah, just an overview of a year. We're going to do some reflecting and then we will see you back going strong for 2022 with our new format. Yes, very excited. All right, friends. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. We'll be back next week for our last episode of 2021. Let's all hope that 2022 is a little bit better than 2021. Uh, I know there's still a lot of great things that came out of it, but we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.